Hey, good morning, family. Hey, I missed you. I missed you last week. Uh, I thought Fred did a great job walking us through the text. It was really encouraging to hear Beckon Pearson uh, share her story of, of life as an everyday missionary. Uh, and it's good to be back this morning. Uh, Casey and I were at a marriage retreat last week. And, uh, and I always love, uh, you guys always know I pray up uh, the seat I'm sitting next to on the airplane. We've talked about this. Is this true? Marcus, have you heard this? So I pray up the seat who's ever sitting next to me. And, uh, and I imagine other people are praying for that person differently than maybe how I'm praying. But I'm praying for whatever the conversation is going to be. And so Casey sat on the window. Uh, I'm sitting in the middle. And then there was a person who sat next to me in the aisle. And we had a great conversation from Minnesota to Sacramento. And, uh, and we we're just talking. He has some Catholic background. And uh, we are chatting. And uh, we started talking about his vocation. He's feeling some tentativity around his vocation. And so we began sharing just kind of a mini gospel story about new creation, about the the restoration of all things at some point. And I said, hey, you should join me at church on Sunday. We were going to, to this marriage conference. And so the guy who was hosting it, my buddy Drew, uh, we joined for first service. And would you know it, Ricky showed up for first service and joined us. And so it was a, a ton of fun. It was a ton of fun to be there. And, and we learned some things at the marriage conference too, right, Case? Yeah, that was meaningful too, that too. Uh, well, like Jack said... <laughs> Melissa, that was kind of a shrug right there. You're like, this guy. You're thinking, can we get Fred back? Can he come back again? So, <laughs> amen, Fred. So, so we're, uh, like Jack said, we got an annual meeting tonight. I love, I love, I love these opportunities where we collectively, we're congregational form of government, which means our members vote to approve our budget. And so the elders will bring uh, a budget and uh, it reflects our vision. This has been our vision. We long to build multi-generational communities, plural, towards a life of following Jesus, building community, and seeking transformation of our homes, neighborhoods, and world. So I hope uh, what you get tonight is just a further movement towards that heart, that we long to embody what Jesus said, go make disciples and make disciples. And so for us, we tried to identify what we understand Jesus to mean, someone who follows Jesus, who surrenders their life to him, who builds community with other followers of Christ, and then longs to seek transformation, one life at a time. And so if you're, if you're like me and you're wondering, man, I look around culture in June, uh, someone recognized June as Pride Month. What, what are we supposed to do? I, I'm, I'm unaware of what my role in is at. How do I go forward? Here's our heart. What I hope you hear in all of this, we see it in Paul's writings. Here's what Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves. And then within the same phrase, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But he doesn't leave it there. He then says this, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so what I hope you hear is this longing to seek transformation. We see ourselves as beggars who have found some bread and we want to share it with everyone we come in contact with. 
But sometimes, here's what it feels like the posture the local church takes. We love gathering to sing songs, to hear from God through his word, and, and, and almost subconsciously become this holy huddle. And so for us, we long to continue to move forward, to not, not share the hope of Christ, but instead understand that we too are growing in this process. We too are on this journey of experiencing more life with Christ. And so what are we doing this year to take one more step in that? Uh, here's three high-level things that I hope you see in the budget we're proposing uh, this coming night, this evening at 6. Uh, because we believe we are everyday missionaries, what would it look like for us to continue to invest resources towards that value? And so we're introducing an everyday missionary fund where if there's an idea you have to reach someone on your pray watch list, how might, like the Home Depot slogan, you can do it, we can help. What would it look like to help foster that passion you already have? Because sometimes what it feels like is, is in church, you're here to help me. And I hope that's not the case here at Hillcrest. Rather, we collectively as a family believe we're planted here. And so what would it look like to believe that you can do it and we can help be a part of what God might be stirring in you on your pray watch list? Second, we're, we're launching, we're developing an internship greenhouse to train and equip our next generation. We have our first uh, summer intern, Tori Lancaster, is joining student ministry this summer to continue to see if we can put some scaffolding and some, some, uh, some organization around what it would look like to invest in raising up future disciple makers. And then third, uh, the one you've been hearing a lot about, we just hope to take another step, is this planted initiative. Uh, we're still in conversations with the farmer about the land, but there's also another opportunity that presented itself that we are exploring as elders with the hopes that as we get more information, we will continue to uh, alert our church family about the steps of what it means to be planted in uh, this community to create a hub. We, we want to multiply our lives as disciple makers. How do we create a hub that more fully accomplishes that? And so uh, now into the text in Luke Here's what it feels like to me, just broadly speaking. Um, a few years ago, maybe you watched some statues get toppled down, um, accusations leveled against people that have been long since dead, uh, years in the past. What starts to develop in our hearts feels like this idea of what C.S. Lewis coined chronological snobbery. That somehow we think of ourselves in this age that we live as so much further along than people who have lived years ago, that we think sometimes we misuse the word for change as progress rather than sometimes regression. And so C.S. Lewis says this just about that mentality of chronological snobbery. He says it is the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our own age, whatever might be perceived as progress, progress today, and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date, whatever has happened in history, is discredited. You might find why it went out of date. Was it ever refuted? And if so, by whom, where, and how conclusively? Or did it merely die away as fashions do? If the latter, this tells us nothing about its truth or falsehood. Not to say that certain things that happened historically were valuable or the best, but instead, is there this movement? And do we dismiss our history as if we've somehow got it all solved in this age? that chronological snobbery. Here's my fear. We're going to read a story continuing last week about the story of the disciples. And what it feels like to me is sometimes we look at what they did and we think if we lived then, we would have done it differently. We would have figured it out. 
we would have understood fully who Jesus is. We wouldn't have had the challenges they had. But instead, what we'll see in the text, I think, is just another layer that they, as we are, are in process. And we're continuing to learn and gain a clear picture of who this Jesus is. And so here's the text this morning. Luke 9, 43 to 50. Continuing the story from last week. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into years. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying as it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of our hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. And Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Here's where we're headed. That, that chronological snobbery could creep into our hearts, but instead... Jesus is aware of his future and faces it directly. And the disciples then illustrate what is true for all of us. They still need to listen and learn about God's plan and the healing, the spiritual healing he desires to bring to our lives. There's still room to grow. So pray with me and we will, uh, we will jump in. It is good to be back. Oh God, I love, I love this church family. Uh, I love seeing what you're doing in other places like California, but it is so good to come home back to our Hillcrest family and, and be a part of what you're doing here in Oregon, in Middleton, in Stoughton, in Verona, in Brooklyn, uh, in Fitchburg. God, help us uh, continue to gain a clearer picture of you through your word so that we can more fully live that heart and passion out in our Monday to Saturday. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. So I thought Fred, I thought Fred did a great job last week, and I thought Beckin did a great job sharing her heart as an everyday missionary. And, and it was this idea that Jesus tells to his disciples and the crowd, but I think Luke is trying to tell us mostly his disciples. He answered, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to bear with you? What would it feel like to be in that moment being rebuked by Jesus? Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? And Fred walked us through a great reflection on where they've been, how they encountered the storm, and, and they responded with, who is this guy? Then, then they're sent out, they feel this spiritual authority, and then the very next thing, they come back and Jesus says, okay, hey, we got a lot of people here, you feed them. And they go, ah, why don't we send them to the local Culver's? How are we going to do this, Jesus? To which Jesus says, let me show you. And he feeds the multitude again. And then Peter rightly confesses, you are the Christ. But he doesn't get the totality of that picture. And then last week we saw Jesus in this rebuke say, bring this guy to me. Let me heal him. And then we see the disciples demonstrating this posture. They have a lot to learn. Much like us, when we get a clearer picture of Jesus, it starts to heal the distorted view that we have of ourselves and of the people around us. And so Jesus continues to give us this clear picture of who he is, and it heals this distorted view we have of ourselves and of those around us. So here's where we start. 
Jesus continues to give us a clear picture of who he is. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus Jesus is marvelous. He he calms the storm. He feeds the multitudes. He heals this demon-possessed boy. He is the all-powerful God. He continues to demonstrate that over and over and over. But now he's helping us continue to see that while they were marveling at everything he was doing, he said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Sometimes it feels like the, the chronological snobbery that exists. If you grew up in the church, you hear, Jesus forgives sins, Jesus forgives sins, Jesus forgives sins. And, and we heard that so many times that we don't fully appreciate the tension these guys are experiencing as they're hearing this idea. That this guy that's so popular, who's gaining so much traction, who they recognize as the Messiah, is now going to willingly yield his life to evil people. He's going to willingly and inconceivably give his life, and they're still trying to get that clear picture of Jesus. Now, the question is, why aren't they getting it? We could read this statement in the text as a divine passive, or there could be others, right? But they did not understand this saying. Sometimes we look back at these guys going, what's the deal? Why can't they figure out who this guy is? We would if we were there, right? I mean, we have it all figured out. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So do you think that means that God somehow withheld it from them? Or is it possible that it's just such a challenging idea that they're afraid to ask because it's, it's just hard for them to understand? Or maybe there was a spiritual uh, presence, Satan, preventing them from understanding. Regardless, in your life groups this week, you can unpack that and wrestle with what you think. But regardless, we know at the end of the story of Luke, God prevented them from seeing him on the Emmaus Road and then opens their eyes. So they are continuing to gain a clear picture of who he is. And what does that produce in our life? The disciples get a few illustrations of a clear picture of Jesus producing something in their life. It actually heals this distorted view of how they view themselves and how they view others. So here's what he says. Pick it up at verse 45. But they did not understand this saying. It was concealed from them so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. And then an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. So Jesus sent out the 12. They do crazy things. Now he only includes three up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they get down and now they start wrestling who is the greatest. Now here's the question. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, Does he rebuke them for wanting to be great? It's good to be back, guys. (laughs) Does Jesus rebuke them from wanting to be great? He does not. He didn't say you shouldn't pursue greatness. Instead, he's going to enter in and try to give them a clear picture of himself and heal a distorted view of how they live. He didn't say don't be great. Instead, He starts telling them what greatness is. Because what does it mean to be great? 
Isn't it valuable to pursue significance? Don't you want your life to have meaning? When you go through your Monday to Saturday, don't you want to live a life of consequence? Don't you want your life to bring some value or importance that you lived this life? It seems that that's actually the way God designed life to work. He actually created us to pursue significance of having our lives matter, desiring that our lives count, hoping to make a difference is actually a very good thing. So he didn't tell them, don't pursue greatness, but instead he begins to shift where greatness is found. Here's what he says. And an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. I don't know if a child is necessarily the best illustration for our context, because how does our culture view kids? We kind of worship them, don't we? Like in this culture, they're irrelevant. They are inconsequential. Be seen and not heard, right? In our culture, our lives tend to revolve around whatever activities our kids are involved in. And so I don't know if the, the relevance of the kid as, is, is valuable, but we understand how our culture values greatness, right? It's just kind of a, a recognized thing that our world has a certain status system of comparing ourselves with others. What is that? In my head, here's just a general list of how it makes sense in our world as we look for greatness, how we recognize greatness. It's a sense of giftedness. Anybody watching the NBA Finals? Just me. Thank you, Linda. I love watching these guys dunk a basketball. I mean, there's a giftedness that they have that you just recognize they're great. There's a greatness that's assumed. I think of uh, occupation. And maybe I'm talking more to the men in this particular context. What's like one of the first questions you ask someone when you meet them? What, well, that'd be a kind response. Feels like the question is, what do you do for a living? What are we saying in that moment? feels like we're just attempting to get a sense of where we might stand or compare to the person we're talking to. We understand there's a, a recognition of greatness based upon occupation. Athletics, music, art, movies, debate, cheerleading. I put this up here, pumpkin size. Casey and I went to like a pumpkin farm and I, I saw a big wheelbarrow with a pumpkin sitting on it with the pounds of how much that, I mean, how, how do you know greatness? Look at the size of this pumpkin we've grown. I mean, it's just, this is just how we understand. This is what greatness is when we begin comparing. More things, height, when we look at clothes. And I, again, this maybe just shows my age. I mean, I'm watching Kanye West do these fashion shows. I'm like, I don't know what kind of apocalyptic uh, apparel you're wearing. And somehow that is perceived as attractive. Or those red boots. There's like a movement of red boots and, and again, I'm like, I, those look terrible. But the recognition, the value system of comparing ourselves, they have the red boots, and I understand that I do not, right? Clothes, a car, a house. What kind of car do you drive? We just understand how greatness works and, and this comparison of how we interact. House, how big's your house? How many acres do you live on? Do you have that second lake home that you go to? And ethnicity, 
It feels like from the dawn of time, this is just the way we divide is via ethnicity. And what strikes me as odd is that in our culture today, some people attempt to lie on their ethnicity to get certain accolades. I mean, it's fascinating just how this is getting played out. This is the world status system of how greatness occurs. Attractiveness. And over our four weeks of human sexuality, we looked at just kind of the shifting landscape of how that has gotten measured over the years. Physical strength. I can lift more than you. Popularity. Just going back to school or even in the workplace, right, of recognition of different pockets of community and then what people do to retain that status. Accomplishments. We just wrapped up Hudson's 8U rec soccer. And what do you think all the kids were most excited about as the season ended? They all got a medal. We're talking about 8U rec soccer. But we all got a medal. But, but the idea of accomplishments, people putting up their degrees, different awards they might have received through work. We understand this is just how greatness is compared. And then feels like the, the easiest one that we all reflect on is how much money do you make or have? And so Jesus challenges this status system by bringing a child into the middle. Because he understands the reality when we're recognized as greater or others serve us, we're great. Jesus instead offers a different definition. He turns their understanding of greatness on its head. He offers this upside down kingdom. Here's what he says. He says, when we get a clearer picture of Jesus, it actually heals our distorted view of ourselves and of others, we stop using the world status system of comparing ourselves to others. And instead, here's where he says we begin finding our security and identity. Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. We start seeing and finding our significance and our connection with Jesus. That is greatness. And so I'm going to fly through this next one so we can get through it. But you can find this on the PowerPoint later, but we're not going to develop it too much. What are the benefits of finding our significance in connection with Jesus? We become more humble. We become more secure. We start finding more joy in serving. Of being a part of the, the church family, there's limitless opportunities, it feels like, to be invested around here with kids, with students, with Sundays. We're doing Move Up Sunday down in the gym right now, seeing our fourth graders grow into fifth graders to welcome other kids, to see Sundays, to see greeting and be in the face of the Welcome Center, our men's and women's opportunities to serve, and then to share this Jesus love with others. We begin pursuing those that are unpursued, those that have quirks, those that might be recluses in our neighborhoods or workplaces. We begin, because of our connection to Jesus and significance in him, no longer measuring greatness. Because I was just at this pastor's retreat, right? Was at this marriage conference with Casey. What, what do you think pastors do? Because <laughs> I'm not immune to this. And I don't feel like I'm old. I'm 39. I feel like I've walked with Jesus a, a decent amount of time, and yet there's still this tinge. What do pastors usually say? <laughs> yeah. How big's your church? <laughs> 
And as long as I'd like to believe I've walked with Jesus, there's still this tinge that starts to well up. Instead, when we find more significance in our connection to Jesus, it starts to change how we see greatness. And we begin to pursue the unpursued. I hope around here at Hillcrest, one life at a time. And so Jesus says, whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. What's he saying? He's saying instead of valuing people based upon the world's status of greatness, we start seeing everyone as having value in God's sight. That's why we're doing the baby bottle initiative. Partnering with CareNet, believing every life has dignity, has value. Is that the view, the lens we see, each person we interact with every single day? And then we happily encourage anyone who promotes the authentic Christ. Jesus gives them a clear picture of himself. He says it changes your view of greatness, and it changes the way you view those around you who also are pursuing Jesus, but might not be doing it exactly the way you are. Here's what he says in the text. Verse 49, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Now, we don't wrestle with that at all in modern Western evangelical Christianity, do we? We never kind of set people up as a bad guy who might also be treasuring Jesus. We never do that. That's not something we wrestle with. We've got it all figured out. We're not like those disciples. Chronological snobbery could still be a challenge. Well, well, those people seem to take the Holy Spirit a little too serious. Those people don't seem to have any of the Holy Spirit presence in them at all. Those people have a certain view of how Jesus is going to return, and they've been putting a date on their calendar since they were five. Other people seem to have a much more loose view of when he's going to return. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons, doing something we couldn't do. And we tried to stop him because he did not follow with us. What would be their motive in not wanting to celebrate God's movement somewhere else? What would prevent that from them? So here's the ideas that started to bubble up in my head. What, what would be the motives of the disciples that not wanting to get excited? Because we, again, we don't do that, right? We just understand that's, that's something they had to figure out. Maybe there's some insecurity. They're watching someone else demonstrate some kind of spiritual uh, uh, expression, and it starts to cause them a, a sense of insecurity, maybe envy. They're jealous of what those other people were doing, casting out demons, something they couldn't do, and they wanted Jesus to stop them. And then uh, responsibility. That's not their job. We're the disciples. Don't they know that? <laughs> That's who we are. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Or this one for me, I hope this is changing around here for us. You know, it's the idea that it's not they don't have the right credentials, authority, or qualifications. It's why I love when Ryan or Bruce or Brian is part of our teaching team around here. Some of my favorite heroes, Charles Spurgeon, A.W. Tozer, Martin Lloyd-Jones, they never went to seminary. And yet some of the most prolific Christian leaders over the centuries. I hope around here we see that it's not about some kind of credential that makes you a follower of Christ. Instead, it is faith. And so we want to celebrate and not rebuke if someone doesn't have the right quote-unquote qualifications. Believing God is still at work in their life. 
And so Jesus said, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying, welcome and encourage anyone who's promoting Jesus. And we stop stopping people who are working for Jesus. But they don't do it quite like Hillcrest does. We say that's okay. That we believe that Jesus is at work in and through those expressions. And those working for Jesus are not against Jesus, but with Jesus and with us. And anything done for Jesus, big or little, pleases him. Now, we're going to get here in a minute, so I felt like this was valuable to say. He's not going to talk about it till Luke 17. But in Mark, Mark puts this text immediately following this, just to give us a reminder. Jesus says this in Luke 17, It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. There is a recognition that while we welcome and encourage anyone promoting Jesus, there will be those who will be leading the spiritually immature away. We do not get excited about that. I don't know if you're familiar with this term, progressive Christianity. It's it's happening within evangelical circles from the inside out. There's a shifting view on what the biblical text is, a shifting view on God's work through the gospel on how people come to faith, and then three, what God did on the cross to accomplish our salvation There's a shifting on those three ideas. (laughs) I don't welcome and encourage that idea. That's not something we would celebrate, and we would instead be on guard for those who would be leading the spiritually away from Jesus. And so what would it look like to continue to say, if there's spiritual work being done at Blackhawk, at Doxa, at a Presbyterian church, at a Lutheran church, at the Wells Church right here in Oregon, do we believe that in faith, they are moving forward, the gospel and the hope in Christ. I do. And so, we get a clear picture of Jesus. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words seek, sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. But an argument arose about which was the greatest. Jesus now, in giving a clear picture of himself, is going to begin healing the distorted view that they have of themselves and of others. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For who is least among you is the one who is great. And John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop it because he did not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. And so we reflect of any chronological snobbery that might be creeping into our hearts. We identify, confess, and repent from sin from any sense that we think we have it all figured out in this age. And we begin to look back at our life and Jesus' grace in our life and all the room we have to grow. So I was in the cabinet in in the kitchen recently. Casey's got some bowls. And so we're just going to say this bowl represents uh, our our growing understanding of Jesus. You guys with me? I was an enthusiastic. I should just learn not to ask, right? Just in my head, I'm going to say, they're with me. (laughs) So growing understanding, right? You you guys with me? Yeah. And so I, I remember being five or six. 
and being first introduced to the get out of hell free card. I remember a chaplain talking about, you know, if you accept Jesus, you're not going to hell and you won't burn for eternity. I go, man, give me the get out of hell free card. I want that. I'll take Jesus. I'll pray the prayer. And, and, it, and it felt like it was motivated primarily with a, a diminished view of the forgiveness of sins, but a sense of, I don't, I don't want hell. And, and you mean I get Jesus? You mean I can continue to live my life and kind of be a knucklehead kid and, and I kind of have this assurance? Sure, I'll, I'll take that. Maybe some of you, if you came to faith later in life, you prayed a prayer and you said, all I have to do is tolerate some guy talking at me for 30 minutes, go to church for an hour a week, check the box and go home and continue to live my life. I'll take that guy. But then, as, as I got a clear picture of Jesus, my, my understanding of who he is began to grow. That it wasn't just about the forgiveness of sins, but then there was this beautiful element we were included to, to reign with him in heaven for eternity when we die. So not only am I avoiding this, but I'm getting an eternity with Jesus. Man, what a wonderful thing. And so I began to get this clear picture of who he is and, and what we were being invited into. And, and, and you mean he rose from the dead? That is fantastic. And then, as I continue to walk with Jesus, my, my understanding of him started to grow. That not only was it about the forgiveness of sins and, and reigning with him in heaven, but that Jesus is actually reigning now. <laughs> that King Jesus is, is, is inviting and ushering his kingdom. We call it the already, not yet. That we actually are, are longing for Jesus to bring his presence, his healing, his life to the world around us. And, and he's reigning in eternity now. <laughs> Jesus says, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we long. We actually get to see Jesus' kingdom moving and advancing in lives. And then, as I continued to walk with Jesus, my, my view continued to grow. Then there was this thing in Acts. You guys are familiar with Acts? There was this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is reigning and those that treasure him are indwelt with his spirit, that they are being refined and worked through by his spirit from the inside out. He is willing them into more of God's reflection of his image, that the spirit is all around us working in and through us. My view of Jesus kept getting bigger and bigger. And, and then, Jack, Meg, could I borrow you for one second? Is that all right? And then the view of Jesus continued to just get a little bit bigger. You, gotta put your, you don't have to put your slippers on. <laughs> or you could keep them on. Up to you. Up to you. <laughs> and then my view of Jesus just kept getting a little bit bigger. Can you go put that on the stage for me? <laughs> Did he just knock you over? It's fine. It's fine. Thank you. That was fantastic. And then my view of Jesus got a little bit bigger. That King Jesus of Nazareth who walked this earth 2,000 years ago is inviting us into the advancement of his kingdom by his spirit. 
And he's at work all around us. I mean, not just Hillcrest and the way we practice here, but you mean King Jesus, Team Jesus is a lot bigger than that, doing work all around our country? Because sometimes it might feel like we're isolated and, 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 and we don't see all that God is doing. Sometimes it feels like we revert back to, you know, I, ha- I have Jesus and I have a forgiveness of sins, but, but there's not much connection to the rest of my life. And, and instead, it feels like I'm joining with Jesus. Jesus is joining me in my plans. Jesus, will you bless these activities I'm a part of? You know, I'm looking for a job. I'm looking for a relationship. And, and will you just accomplish what I'm wanting for my life? And that seems like such a small view. Instead, what it feels like is we look around our world and, and, and we get to join in what God is doing all around us. Rather than a sense of bargaining with Jesus, this is what I want for my life, Jesus. Instead, it feels like we get to receive whatever he has for us. Rather than Jesus being privileged to have me on his team... He's pretty lucky to have me. I don't know if he understands this. It starts to change. And does he even need me in what he's accomplishing? (laughs) I get to see how big his kingdom and his movement is. And and I get swallowed up in what he's doing. I get swallowed up and invited into this adventure. It becomes this risk-filled, joy-filled adventure of life, of asking God, what are you doing all around me? believing he is actively involved. So I'm going to invite Jack and, uh, and Craig back up. I needed to click the next slide. You want to join me in here, Jack? We celebrate the gospel wherever and however it's promoted. And we devote ourselves to knowing the essentials and lovingly standing for the essentials where we're planted here in Dane County. That we long to continue to be the living proof of a loving God, believing he is at work and he is inviting us to join in what he is up to in this world. Both for now, but the longing where he returns to bring in a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth, where the old is gone and the new will come. Pray with me. Oh, God, you are so good. We long to join in what you are up to. Help us see you, hear from you a little bit more fully to see all that you are doing around us. Thank you, Jesus, always for your glory, we pray. Amen.